Giving to God, we, I was trying to finish up 1 Corinthians. It is not going to happen. Because um, there's just so much in, not just in the chapter, but in the, there's, there's two different topics in the chapter. So I want to take two more weeks to get through this. Um, but giving is always an interesting uh, topic. We don't talk tons about it. Um, we don't do fundraisers with the with the the thermometers and you know God needs your money. Uh, we don't do that stuff. Although you can watch television and see that stuff, but to not teach on giving is also a mistake um, because we do. I've had people, even people at church, ask me even in the last two months, um, "Hey, what is your view on tithe? What should we tithe? Should we do this? Should we do that?" We're going to get into that. Um, and it's not going to be according to Dan. It's going to be just according to what Paul gave through inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church. And that's what we want always to hear. But uh, the dynamics of last week, just to wrap it up, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 was once again the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, how it changes everything, and how uh, we will be as people changed for the future as we are glorified and made like Christ in the glorification. That was last week. And we're closing out this letter in a two-week um, period of time because it's just so much. But I want to throw this out there. I want to read just the four verses we're going to cover in their entirety and then kind of backtrack to it. Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whom, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. There's a lot in that. There's a lot you can miss just by not understanding the context of what's going on. But the, the, the fund that we're talking about this gift that Paul is talking about is what modern churches would call a benevolence fund. Um, growing up in a Baptist church, we would pass a plate and there would be story like a song. So, you know, it wasn't, wasn't just like dead air. And on the back of that was the teaching. And at the very end, the pastor would say, okay, so we're, it's the first of the month or the last of the month. We're doing the benevolence fund. And so they would pass the plates again. So you were to give your offering and then the benevolence or the fund for those. Uh, it's like a, lo like a love fund for those who are hurting, for those in the church that uh, can't pay their water bill or can't pay their electric bill, the widows, the orphans, the, the people that truly need help. So Paul closes out this, this letter by talking about this fund that he is going to take to Jerusalem. And you might, you might ask, why would Paul, who was in Ephesus, be shooting through Greece, which is Macedonia, and then down to the southern part to Corinth to pick up this offering or have somebody pick up the offering? Why would he be doing this? Why do we need to give money to another church so far away? Well, in our day, we have all these denominational sects, okay? So we've got the Baptists and the Lutherans and the Calvary Chapels and the Pentecostals. And I mean, you guys, there's probably a hundred denominations. How different are they? Um, they're on the spectrum, pretty far left and pretty far right. You shall find a lot of people right in the middle, like Calvary Chapels, who believe the whole word and they don't get into these theological concepts that are 
not in the scripture, but you can take certain scriptures and build them. And they're therefore outside of scripture when you build them up into some man who said this and did this. And then now we're all about that guy, John Martin Luther, Lutherans. Um, I don't know where all the names come from. Some of them are obvious and some of them are not. So you've got people who end up not even believing the entire word of God. You, believe, you, you get these sects of Christianity that, that literally get off the highway and they're, you know, they're so far over that it's a different theology. We're talking about Christian churches and we're talking about the early church. Therefore, um, what Paul's asking is for a benevolence offering for the struggling believers in Jerusalem. And there was a famine. You can read all this in Acts. If you read the book of Acts, you'll you'll see where Paul gets all these things. But this, there was a famine in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church had a ton of poor, had a ton of widows, and they were struggling. And obviously, like, could you just imagine if we we left here and you went into a grocery store? They're like, sorry, there's nothing. People start. Oh well, I was supposed to get food last week and I didn't, and I'm really low now. Now what? A famine is a famine. Without refrigeration, it's a huge problem. Without food storage like we have, it's a huge problem. So Paul was was taking this offering, and he's going to bring it to Jerusalem. And the the people who started it, I want to read um, uh, just a passage in, in 2 Corinthians. Um, this is 2 Corinthians 8. I just want to read it. I'm going to read it New Living Translation, kind of rapid fire. Now, I want to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done for the churches in Macedonia, like I said, modern-day Greece. Though they have been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the gracious privilege of sharing in the gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. Poor church, poor churches in Macedonia, Greece, are begging Paul, we know there's a need down there and we feel like God wants us to meet that need. And he's like, okay, you guys have like next to nothing. How are you even going to come up with something? I say that because I've talked to people to get back to the whole, Dan, what do you think of tithing? What do you think of should a person give? Yes, a person should give. Giving to God is like, you'd think you wouldn't have to say it. But in 2024, you have to say a lot of stuff that you're like, oh, I thought I thought somebody would have known that. I thought they would have picked it up along the way. There are people over the years that I have talked to and they have said, well, when I can afford to, I'll give something. There are people who um, they say, hey, you know, I don't think you understand. I have this payment and this payment and this payment. When, when, when you work out your part of giving with God, God does stuff that you can't understand. God makes a way where there is no way. This church, Paul is saying, not only did they have nothing, they have given far more than they could afford. So there's, there's no mandate of you, you give it as long as you could, as long as you can give to God, whatever that means. How, whatever, you have to work it out with God for a lot of reasons. But I will say one of 
Um, and I wanted to get into the statistic because I think it's kind of humorous and I'm not trying to call out millennials. Okay. I just want to say that beforehand. Those born from 82-ish to 2000, not trying to call them out. But I was reading because there's so much on giving. There's so much on like, uh, oh, churches are always trying to steal your money and, and build, you know, themselves, you know, big buildings. And, and, and you know, the pastor has lives in a 8,000 square foot mansion. And he has a jet and all. Of, okay. I, I'm sure that, that I know that stuff's out there. I'm not talking about that stuff. That stuff, that's a bunch of charlatans. That's, that's all. You can see what's going on when you go to the church talking about like a real church where God, where people rely on God, like truly rely on God for finances, truly rely on God um, in, in, in almost every single aspect of their lives because they have to. As it pertains to, to giving in general, the top three most charitable giving cities are all in Idaho. Idaho. Say what you will, I don't know. Second most charitable city in the United States is Las Vegas. Now, there, if you do the math, that might make some sense um, in terms of the whole like penance and, oh, man, I really did some bad stuff. I better give some money to the church or something. I don't know. It's just weird. But the Idaho thing and the Las Vegas thing, America's largest cities do not crack the top 50. America's largest cities are not in the top 50. And when they call people up and poll them, they call... And these huge numbers of the Barna study, Barna is a pretty respected uh, church research firm, uh, has been for years. Um, they say, hey, you know, this is totally anonymous. What would you say you give in a, in a given year? X. Okay. When they add that up in all these cities, they do these online polls and stuff. That's where it comes out. Millennials are the least charitable giving group, although giving is a high priority to them. They give less than $50 per year to charity. So if you if you poll a millennial, what's some of the most important things to you? Oh, giving to the poor up top. How much do you give? 50 per year. So what is that per month? I don't know. Four bucks. What's a coffee cost right now? 11.50 at Dutch Brothers? Yeah. 12 with 13 with the tip, with the auto tip. The most generous generation are the Gen Xers. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm barely a Gen Xer, by the way. Barely. Barely. Um, only 5% of church members give regularly. Households that make more than 75000 a year are the least charitable. Christians give. Once again, they're, they're a research firm. They do secular studies and Christian studies, but a lot of their stuff is targeted toward inner church, um, like things you'd want to know, like like what are most Christians politically? What are most Christians giving? What are most Christians like? What Do they go to church? Do they say that they're Bible-minded? Do they believe the Bible all the way through? So those types of questions. And they have a ton. It's really an interesting site. But that Christians today give less than 2.5% of their income. And in the Great Depression, families were giving 3.3% of their... And for those that don't, I mean, younger kids probably don't know how big of a deal the Great Depression was, but so many people lost almost everything. And the unemployment rate was higher than, from what I remember, higher than it, it has ever been since. So John Lee is a, a teacher uh, in New York um, at a Christian private school. And he writes, one of the issues with giving is that there are usually strings attached. He says, when we give, we the second we give money to something, we experience a split second of loss. At a speed faster than light, 
we calculate the costs and benefits of giving. And if we and if the latter outweighs, then we give. And if not, then we hesitate. Rarely do we come to the inside, uh, the insight that it is a privilege to give. The Bible says it's a privilege to give. And the Bible says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And the Bible says that God withholds nothing. Test me in giving. The God is not only a giver, we know that he's a giver. Look at what he's given us. Uh, and I mean, say what you will about like, I know there's a, a ton of negativity in the world, but we, life is precious and life is a gift, period. It just is. But that God withheld nothing. He gave humanity his most prized possession. He allowed his son to be sacrificed for humanity. That is the highest gift you could give. Giving isn't always cash. A lot of people, a lot of Americans, that's the first thing they think of. You want my money, if you're asking. Uh, I was running the other day at, at a bashes and this, this girl, um, Girl Scout girl, hilarious, great saleswoman, uh, probably 10-ish, but she's going to be amazing. I, I promise you. Um, I'm running and she goes, hey, you want to buy any cookies? I go, no. And she goes, why are you running away from cookies? I go, and I just, la I'm like, you got me. I am. I'm trying to avoid them. I love those things. I would eat every one of them. Oh, those Thin Mints. What do they put in them? It's magic, whatever's in there. So he says, when, when humanity, when people give their money that they worked for, there's a calculation in our head. Should I give to this thing? Should I give, should I round up for what McDonald House is telling me this week? And everybody's asking you to round up. I mean, you can't get out of a grocery store without being asked to give something. So we're, we're just being like, we're like all day long, we're, we're being asked for money. So everywhere you go, money, money, money. One of the reasons, and I probably have been not good in this, but it's one of the reasons I have avoided it to no end at this church. Um, I never wanted people to feel like every time you go to that church, they're asking for money. I never wanted that. But I was listening to a sermon and he goes, you're derelict in your duty if you never, if you never ever talk about it too. So I was like, well, I talk about it when it comes up in, in the scriptures. And so I'm going to give it to you, just all of it laid out. He says this because people give with strings attached. One of the things that Paul is, is so crystal clear about on this, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, you guys wrote me about it. All of the back end of this letter is responses to questions the elders wrote and asked them because they had a mess in their church. And they were like, okay, what about this? And what about this? And what about, and we've covered all that for literally probably six months since the summer. And finally, before he gets into the exhortation, the final exhortations of this book, um, there's two more things. He's going to talk about his plans that are, you know, because he started the church and he does want to come back and see them. But before he does that, he's like, now concerning the collection, you asked me about it. All right, guys, lastly, concerning the benevolence offering we're taking to Jerusalem, this is how it's going down. You have to follow this order. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. If you're going to give, if you're asking to be part of this, I would like for everybody to be a part of it, this church, because you should lay something aside on the first day, the Lord's day, some translations will say. So let's, let's just say you go to church on Sunday, first day of the week, lay something aside for these folks. Storing up, as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So it's based on how much you make. A person who makes $1,000 a year 
isn't expected to give $2,000 to this benevolence offering. A person who makes $100,000 a year isn't expected to give $3. It's in proportion. How has God blessed me? Well, then I need to trust him. Giving is trusting God. Now, the question is, well, Dan, what if I give to uh, some horrible organization that seemed to be great, and then I find out they did this, that, and the other thing? That's not your problem. You're responsible to God. You're not responsible to me. You're not responsible to some other missionary. You're not responsible to your dad or your mom or whoever. When it comes to your walk, number one is God. Number one listen person you listen to is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells you, I would like for you to give $100 to this missionary. And you're like, uh, I only have $200 in my account. And I usually spend over that each week at the grocery store. And I think we can all realize that $100 at a grocery store buys you about five cents worth in your mind. Like You're like, wait, how does this $100? You go to Costco, you cough, it's 150 bucks. Literally. It's another reason I love it so much. My disdain comes through. I got to repent. Um, I got I to gotta, I gotta call the guys from Costco and, and, and say I'm sorry. But they need to fix their parking lot first. It's a war zone. So he says, I don't want you guys to collect the day that I show up. If I show up, why? Well, let me tell you what happened a couple of years back. I did a show at the East Campus, uh, Calvary East, with the Afters, I think it was. And Josh works for Food for the Hungry, which is an outfit out of Phoenix that does the feeding kids, and they have the sponsorships and stuff. I love the sponsorships. I'm a sucker for it. You show me a little 10-year-old kid, I don't care where they live. It could be any country except for this one because they're never going to show you American kids. This kid lives in Los Angeles and he doesn't, you kidding me right now? I'm just kidding. Um, it's expensive, but you see some little kid's picture and it's they're you know, they're in a, a village and there's no food and you're like, your heart goes out. You're like 25 bucks a month. And then the guy gets up there on stage and goes, you can't give up three coffees. Dutch brothers adjusted for inflation. You can't give up three coffees a month for this little child. And so all of a sudden you're guilted because you walked in with a Dutch Brothers or you walked in with a Starbucks or you bought a coffee in the coffee shop at Calvary, which is far better and much cheaper, but still it's probably three, four bucks easily, right? So if you do it every day, it's more money than it costs to feed and clothe this child. And so what happens? Well, when you talk to these folks behind the scenes, which I have several on several occasions, they go, well, the average person keeps it up for 60 days. So they do an ACH, they do, they take your checking account and they, and they put the child's sponsorship on there. And after two months, the emotions are gone. You're kind of done. You never met the kid before. You don't get a letter. You're, I mean, Americans, very generous people. Got to put it in front of them. You got to like show them, Hey, here's the need. When we used to go to Dominican, you could get people to do anything at all in terms of giving money, building little buildings, building little sheds, giving this kid shoes. Literally, the kid, people are there. They're captive there for a whole week. The last day we're in Dominican, one of the many trips that we've done there, the missionary pulls all of us aside. This was a college trip. It was me and 10 college kids. And he goes, here's the deal, guy. And he took us to a nice resort which was like $100 a day for all of us. It felt like, you got to be kidding me. Would have been thousands here. And he sits us down and he goes, 75% of you will forget us. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, we need you to commit to giving this much, 
you know, like here's a sponsorship or here's a, a thing for our organization. We're, we're self-supported. But 75% of you will forget us. 25% of you will do something and then it will last for this long. And I was like, this is an emotional pitch. We're all, we've just all spent all this time, 40 hours with these kids playing soccer, building little things for them. And it's amazing. And we love them and we're playing, you know, sports all week and, and doing VBS and stuff. And it's just an amazing time. It really enriches you. It really shows your, it gives you a perspective check of nothing else as to how much you have versus how much they have. And so it's, it's always an emotional plea. Paul's like, I don't want that. I, you, here's the directions. If you guys want to do this, I want for the church to be involved in it. It's a benevolence fund. These people are seriously in need. They have no food. Is there a food bank? Nope. Is there a government? Nope. Is there SSI? Nope. Is there section eight EBT? 50, we have 50 wet, uh, nets in this country to care, to catch somebody. And I asked uh, a guy who, who does one of the hugest food banks in town. He goes, nobody starves that nobody starves in this town because they, because they don't have food. There is food and they can come, they can walk right in anytime they want and get as much food as they want. We throw out more food in a day because we have to. And it's, it's, it makes me sad, but it is what it is. Like, it's just part of the deal. Can't, you can't get rid of it all. Sometimes it comes in so quick. He goes, don't do it. Don't do the Sunday morning thing when I show up. Oh, here's Paul. Did you see somebody throw a couple of hundreds in there? Hey, Paul, I don't want that because you're not given to, you're, you're giving to impress me. You're not given for God. When Christians are called to give, they're called to give back to their Lord. That, that could mean God wants you to go hand out your entire, whatever he tells you, go hand that out with little tracks at the homeless park. That's what he, but he wants you to give till it affects you. Somebody who makes $10 million a year that gives $1,000 a week at church or $1,000 a month at church or, or to a charitable organization, they, don't even, they may not even notice that they gave it. They may lose that much in legal battles a year. It's, it's in proportion to what you, what you bring in. He says, and when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. So you guys, I want this organized. I want you guys to, do, if, you, if you're going to do this, then I want you to do it. I want you to collect for a period of time so that some people, I mean, obviously there wasn't like the pay period stuff like we have. So they, however they got paid, it was likely per diem. It was likely per day. So they were in the habit of, of giving money to their, to their church every single week. Um, and that's, I mean, that's not how America um, does things, generally speaking, but that's their world. So his, his instructions on this were, you're, you're giving to God, you're working this out with God, let no one manipulate you. Let nobody, look, I've given money to organizations that I found out years later. I got a, like a lawsuit letter that said they were going after this leader of the church who came to the church that I was going to and made everybody feel horribly guilty and said things. I don't even want to repeat them because some of you guys probably know. And we gave money to whatever their things were. And I was honestly giving to God. I really, really was. And maybe God used him to show me the need at the time, but I wasn't giving, that guy wasn't going to know what I gave. It wasn't, it wasn't significant in terms of the money that they brought in, but you're not responsible for that. And, and there, I know you guys probably 
some of you guys probably know this movie that I'm talking about, but there was a movie in the eighties where it was about a televangelist trying to build a, um, like a, like a six flags, like a Disneyland in back of the church. And so he's, wherever he talks to donors, he's like, Hey, we could really use your land. We could really use your house. And he's just like straight up asking for their homes. And, and this guy was the guy that was sitting with him was an investigative reporter. He didn't know that. Um, and so he's like preparing a story like on this, on the scammer evangelist. And the whole thing was fake, casting demons out of people, kicking them in the chest on stage. It was a movie. It was, it was, it was made by secular people made to make fun of televangelists that were doing this type of stuff, which happened a lot in the eighties and the seventies on television. But the point is, if you scam, you're a pastor and you scam some little old lady out of her money, trust me, you are going to answer for that. And it will not be worth whatever you got in this life. Whatever you fluffed your nest with, whatever car you bought because of it, you will answer for it. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether in the end you end up going to heaven or hell, you're going to answer for it one way or the other. But for you and I, we can't, we can't let Oh, well, I'm 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 actually not doing well well financially. Oh, I don't believe in tithe. That's great. I don't believe in tithe either. That's why we don't, I mean, we don't Americans understand the word church, tithe. They understand that. Church means building to a lot half of Americans. Oh, I go to church. That means you're going to a building. It does not mean you're going to a house. Although you see that word house all over these letters because they met in houses. Nowadays, people a lot of churches uh, meet in buildings. But it's, that's not the church. It's a piece of real estate. God can use real estate to, to facilitate people to come in together, but he uses his spirit. He uses people to people. If you give to something and you feel like God said, I want you to go give money to that missionary. I want you to go, I want you to support that kid, that little kid uh, that you saw the picture of uh, from that little village and wherever. I want you to, I want you to do that then you'll you'll probably keep doing that because you're you're doing it for the right reason. You're not doing cuz some you went to a concert and some guy goes, "We can't start the last song unless this last kid is sponsored." I've heard that before. I mean, it's like oh, that's horrible. Of course your attrition rate's high. Of course people bail out. Of course they do. It is it is a it is a difficult thing to navigate. It's a difficult thing to teach on. But Christians should be generous people. They just should be. Um, one of the things that, that I was just thinking about as I was I was prepping this is people have all these aversions to give. And it's like, oh, I, I can't give because of this. Or I can't, I, I wouldn't want to give because um, I, I'm really, really, I'm trying to do, trying to save up money for something. And then once I get, once that happens and, and my business goes crazy, then I'll give. When you push anything spiritual further down the street, the odds of you coming back to it are real low. No matter what it is, if you want, if you go, uh, I'll get right with God like 20 years from now, that is a really scary thing to say. But what he's saying is, guys, there should be like cheerfulness, privilege, like God's people should be generous people. Back in the day, hospital were largely run by Christians. Back in the day, Salvation Army was really Salvation Army. Today, I don't know what it is, but you read these, read about these organizations, you read about these people that took in orphans, you read about these, na these names you may know to this day, and you go, oh, I wonder why they're not anymore. I wonder what happened. Well, the government came in, and the government is like, hey, we're running the hospitals now. 
The government's running the shelters. The government's paying for this, that, and the other thing. And, and so Christians go, oh, okay, I guess there's no more need. Stop praying about it. Stop, God, what do you want me to do? Well, maybe God wants you to do something similar to that, but start your own thing. Maybe God wants you to still go out there and go, I want to, I want to, I want to support missions. And and God directs you to somebody and they go, Wow, this was like the last day before we were gonna have to not be able to go do our trip. You have no idea. We've been praying about this for three months, four months. Don't just get out of it because somebody else, like in theory, took over the whole deal. I mean, that's not true. Hospitals and shelters and all that stuff, there's so much work to be done. Um, when, when I was in, um, uh, just after college, I worked for a mortgage banker, my best friend's dad owned the company. He started a hospital in Ethiopia with a couple of guys from my hometown. It's the number one hospital in Ethiopia. It's the most respected place to get surgeries done in all of Ethiopia. And Ethiopia is huge. And Ethiopia has a huge government presence. I mean, the, the airline, the airline is run by the government and that, that should tell you something. But they, they saw a need and they worked really hard and God directed them. And a lot of people don't even know all the stuff that goes on there, all the good that is done. But he's like, hey, yeah, the hospital's here. Like, you want to start another hospital right next door to Banner? It's probably going to be really hard to do that. <laughs> but what about in the least of these? What about in places where there's so many good things to give to? That's the point. That giving should be a regular thing for, for Christians. You should purpose in your heart what you're going to set aside for God. And that's something you work out with God. That's not something you go, well, so-and-so says to tithe, 10th. So-and-so says that now you should give. You know, I, I heard one of those uh, famous guys um, who does a lot of missions work. He, he, lives on nine, he lives on 10%. He gives 90 away of, of his income. Well, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that's an amazing thing. And he's like, I don't tell people. He goes, people found that out. I don't tell people. Hey, you better do that because I'm doing that. The point is there's no command in the New Testament. Paul's not going, hey, if I don't show, if you guys don't have 500 pieces of silver, I'm not even routing through town. He's not giving them a number. He's saying there's a process. God's a God of process, and we should be generous. And you guys have, in Corinth, they had more than the, than the Macedonians, the Greeks. They had way more than the, the folks in Jerusalem. And that's how Christians should be with one another. But like I said, we're all, we're all like in our little sect. So it's like, oh, we don't help Baptists. Oh, we don't, we don't really like the Lutherans. We don't preach Lent. I'm sorry, you guys. We can't help you. It should never be like that. It should be Jesus first. And if that's the case, then you can get along with any brother or sister if Christ is your passion. So um, once again, tithe, you know, if, if you're like, well, I, I should tithe, that's, that's not a bad benchmark. But God may direct you to do something different. I don't know what it would be. But it's all, the point is, all Christians should be generous people. When I, uh, I'll, I'll wrap this up, but one of the things that always got me was the town that I grew up in was known for the most churches per capita on planet Earth in the early 90s. Wheaton, Illinois was known for the most churches. It is not anymore, but it was at one point in time. I started uh, post-college or in college. After I had started, I started working at this uh, Irish a steakhouse in uh, Chicagoland. And one of the kids told me, he goes, oh, he goes, you don't want to work Sunday at 11 o'clock. I go, why? He goes, all the Christians come in. I go, is that bad? He goes, uh, A, none of them drink. 
and B, uh, so the tabs are all small and they tip like $2. I'm like, wow, that's the wrap. The wrap is that they're cheap. I've heard that so many places that I, I mean, I worked in three restaurants in that town and I heard it almost every place I went by more than one server. That should never be the case. It should never be, oh yeah, Christians are the cheapest people in our in the society. It should never be the case. But it's it's a sad deal. Christians should be generous people. And when they are stingy and they try to hold on to their money, something is out of balance because it's like, like Jesus didn't say money was evil. He said the love of it is the root that grows into horrible things that you and I don't know how much time we have on this earth. We could have a day left. We could have a month left. We could have two years left. But money is, it's always out there. We, we, we have to possess it. It's on some level. And Paul is saying, you guys, God loves a cheerful giver. So whatever that means to you, give according to what you can. There is no mandate to tithe, but there is a mandate to be generous, to follow your heavenly father who was generous. I want to close with this uh, uh, John Lee quote. He said, the Macedonian churches offer another picture, the privilege of giving churches. According to Paul, uh, some of them were poor, um, like, like I just read in 2 Corinthians. Um, some even would say they were in extreme poverty. Yet these churches begged for the privilege to give. And when we consider the racial and social composition of those churches, this is even more remarkable. Not only were they Gentiles living, excuse me, giving to strangers, but they were giving mostly to Jews. Now, we live in a very charged society. We live in, I mean, everything is out there to be fighting with in, our, in America today. You can fight about anything as quick as you want with people. People will have an opposing view of almost anything you say with confidence. These people, Gentile people, Greeks, were not fans of Jews. Jews put them down. They had, they had serious issues even talking with them. I mean, the Samaritan woman, who's not Jewish, therefore Gentile, um, not Greek, but, but non-Jewish, she was wondering why Jesus would speak to her, like, like speak. At least Americans can yell at one another, right? You see it all the time on the internet. At least we can yell at each other. I'm just kidding. Um, it's remarkable that, 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 that non-Jewish people would give out of their poverty to Jews. They gave out of an understanding of grace. Grace, when understood, forgets itself, turns outward, and works for others. They completely understood that there was joy in giving and that what God had given them through Christ was giving his most precious gift and, hold nothing, and holding nothing back. Therefore, when they saw others in need, even though they were poor, they trusted God above all else to give out of their little. When you give, I don't care who you give to, or what you give. When you give, you get a paycheck, you cash some of that paycheck, and you have a little bit of walking around money, and you can go do something fun with it. You can go grab, you know, give yourself an, a, a great little latte. I love, I like lattes. I like coffee. Once in a while, I love going and sitting in a coffee shop and getting one of those little leafy espresso art drinks. And it is sad when you have to pay $7. But when you give your money, there's like an exchange and you're like, mm, I don't know if it's worth that. When we give to, to an organization, a person, whatever that is, 
what we're doing is we're surrendering some of our security. When you give to somebody else and you go, hey, I don't know what you're going to do with this. For instance, a homeless person. You're giving, if you're giving because God told you to, it is not your responsibility if that person buys drugs with it. It is not, it is not like, you're not, a, you're not at fault and you're not like, God's not like, how dare you? But you told me to give it to him. How dare you? They didn't buy the right thing. That's not God. God's not petty like that. That's not like he's, he is, he is grace. But we, in our minds, we're like, he can't be that gracious. That's how humanity is because we're not. Humanity's not that gracious. We have limits. God has no limit. He, he, he held nothing back by giving us Christ. Therefore, we should hold nothing back when he, when he says, hey, I want, you, I want you to trust me. Well, God, that's a big deal because I have rent. And it's, say, $500 and I have $490 in my account. Well, I want you to give $20 to that person over there. Okay. And I don't know how. Three weeks pass. And you talk to somebody and you go, hey, did you ever get your rent paid? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. It was so weird. I just got this refund check from Capital One, 50 bucks. And I had 520 or 30 in my account. I had more than enough money. God does stuff like that. He's done things like that in my life, my entire life. But when, when it's the most crazy and when it's the most like blow your mind is when you step out on that plank the most. Is when you go... Ooh, this hurts. Ever heard give till it hurts? I've done that a few times in my day. And when you're like, okay, Lord, I hope you know what you're doing here. I've never not had a roof over my head. I've never not had, I've pretty much never not had a car in my life. I've never not been able to provide for my kids. I've never missed rent. But God has stretched me in that, continues to stretch me in that. But it's, you, you cannot give to people. You cannot give to, to an organization because you know the CEO or because you know your buddy runs it. If you end up giving to that because God wants you to, that's great. Paul's saying, give to God. Look at these folks. If you want a frame of reference, these folks had nothing. And they're like, please let us give. And you're like, you're Greeks. You have no money and you want to give me money to handle to to hand to somebody to take a ship back to Jerusalem. That's what you're asking for? Okay. And so, I mean, these were churches that Paul knew and started. So he puts it out there. If you do this, I want you to do this in the right way. I'm not going to show up and I'm not going to come into town and have you guys, oh, we forgot. And then Paul gives a sermon and then people give against their will because they're like, well, we have to. God wants you to give not out of not out of guilt but out of the joy and out of the grace and out of the mercy that he has already given to us. Amen. Pray. Father God, um, stretch us in this. God, allow us to test you in this. Allow us to further our relationships with you um, deeper because um, it's something that's on a lot of our minds. It's something that a lot of us struggle with. Um, finances are something a lot of us struggle with. God, that we would truly know what you want us to do with the finances that you have given to us and that we take our direction only from you on this. It's in your name we pray. Amen.